It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. Welcome back, everybody. It's always, always good to have you here. I'm excited for our guest today. Um, you guys have heard of, uh, have heard from him before. Uh, his name is Francis Jackson. Francis Jackson is an attorney who specializes in disability law for those seeking veterans disability benefits as well as social security disability benefits. He's a founding partner of Jackson McNichol. He has been featured on NBC, CBS, ABC, Fox, network affiliates around the country. He most recently appeared as a guest of Ben Glass on the Consumer Advocate Show discussing benefits for veterans and social security disability benefits and how his practice allows him to make a difference in the lives of people facing disabilities. He's also been quoted in USA Today and is listed in Cambridge Who's Who. Mr. Jackson was honored by the National Academy of Bestselling Authors with a Quilly Award uh, in September of 2012 for his contribution as a joint author in the Amazon bestselling book, Protect and Defend, where he wrote about protecting one's right to veterans' disability compensation. Also in 2017, Mr. Jackson was inducted into America's Most Trusted Lawyers for his outstanding work in disability law. For more information, visit veteransbenefits.com, veteransbenefits.com. Francis Jackson, welcome back. Thank you, Bert. It's always such a pleasure to be here with you. Well, you know, I, and, and I say this every time, I, I, I'm, I'm grateful for the work that you guys do there at uh, veteransbenefits.com. It's, it's super important. Uh, you know, our, the average person, our citizens, for the most part, you know, they're not aware of sometimes the sacrifice that is made by these brave men and women, and of course, they're not aware of sometimes having to come home in battle uh, and fight for their disability. And so I'm grateful for the work that you guys do. And so I, I also wanted to ask you this, kind of get the ball rolling. You know, a while back, we had talked about um, the VA and what they were doing as it relates to covid and I wanted to ask you right off the top, was there any kind of new information or any update on that? Yeah, there are actually several things going on. Um, first off, the, uh, the House uh, has passed a bill saying uh, or allowing um, all veterans and their caregivers to uh, get COVID vaccination shots at the VA. Uh, so that's waiting to go to the Senate, and hopefully that'll, that will uh, get approved. And in addition to that, some of the uh, local offices um, have worked out a, a protocol where veterans can come in and still have their hearings before the Board of Veterans Appeals from the local office um, with lots of, case, lots of COVID safeguards. I had trouble getting that out. Um, but uh, that's, that's, uh, that's coming along. And the other... Um, the other thing that they're doing that's related to COVID, um, Senator Boozman, the, uh, the ranking Republican on the Senate uh, Veterans Affairs Committee, is uh, co-sponsoring a bill with some folks on the, on the Democrat side in the Senate that would make it easier for a veteran's, veteran's family 
to get benefits if the veteran um, had a pre-existing service-connected disability or illness resulting from military service and then contracted and died from COVID-19. So all of those things are, are kind of in the works. Yeah, you know what, and, and I'm, I'm glad to see, again, uh, the Republicans working with the Democrats, the Democrats working with the Republicans. I think, I think it makes everybody feel good when we see, what do they say, uh, people crossing the aisles to work together. And this is one of those issues where really it shouldn't be politicized as much as it is. These are brave men and women. You know, they have put their necks on the line. Uh, some of them have been wounded. Some of them are, are, are dealing with emotional wounds. And I think that, uh, I think that our, our good politicians should uh, bend over backwards to make, these, to make it happen quicker, better, faster. I couldn't agree more, Bert. All right. So I just mentioned PTSD. And, and any updates, any news regarding treatments for veterans uh, suffering from PTSD? Well, yeah, there's, there's been kind of an interesting development. Um, the VA just completed a study that had been mandated by Congress on the impact of, of having a PTSD-trained service dog or an emotional support dog for veterans suffering from PTSD. And the, as I said, the Congress um, told them they, they, had to, they had to study this, so they did. And what the study found was that having either type of dog, either a, um, a PTSD-trained service dog or an emotional support dog, helped. Um, now, the service dogs that are trained to assist people with, with PTSD learn a whole range of tasks. They, they learn to either stand in front or behind as needed, uh, their veteran to fend off crowds or approaching people. And they can also wake the person from a nightmare or sweep the room before their veteran enters by, you know, kind of checking everything out or even turn on the lights. They, they train them to do that. Wow. And the, uh, the emotional support dogs in the study all had um, a high level of obedience training and they obviously provide love and companionship, but unlike the service dogs, they're not trained to handle tasks specifically for a person with PTSD. And what they found was that the folks with the PTSD-trained service dogs had fewer suicidal behaviors and less suicidal ideation at the end of the 18-month study. And both groups displayed a decrease in other symptoms such as anger and disrupted sleep. But even though there was some improvement in their mental health, there was no change in the overall level of disability and no difference in physical health. So it, it seems like what it comes down to is the, the emotional support from the dogs helps. Um, it helps even more if when they're specifically trained to, uh, to do certain PTSD-related things. But it's not enough to um, you know, dramatically uh, restore people's ability to function or get them off disability. But it, the, the good news is it helps. The bad news is it's, it's not a magic bullet. Right, right. Well, and especially with complex issues like PTSD, there is no magic bullet. It's literally it's inch by inch kind of a thing. Uh, and so it, it takes time. I mean, it's just one of those things um, 
you know, PTSD can occur in literally seconds, but can take years to undo. That's absolutely right, Bert. You, you put your finger on it. There is no magic bullet, but this is, is one more thing that we can do that helps. Absolutely. And, and one other thing that we can do that helps is, is like, uh, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, and let's share this episode with everyone you know so we can help as many people as you know. And by hitting the like button, it helps the algorithm do its magic, and again, we get to help more people. So please take a second or two and do that. Okay, so let me ask you this. We've also talked about the issue of the burn pits. We've done that several times, and these burn pits happen in Afghanistan and Iraq. Uh, what are the latest developments in the, with those issues? Well, you know, um, that's that's one of those questions that uh, that, that lawyers equivocate about. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> The, the bottom line is, in the, in the literal sense, uh, the answer is nobody's done much of anything. Uh, there haven't really been any direct developments. But the, the, the part that's got people talking and, and that I think will lead to developments is, as you may know, President Biden lost his son, Bo Biden, to cancer. Yes. And Bo, Bo was deployed to Iraq for a year with the National Guard. And the family blames his death on chemical exposure from the burn pits. So... The, the thinking is that uh, once things kind of get settled in and the White House can focus on something beyond the immediate COVID emergency, that the president may well support awarding benefits for uh, these burn pit-related illnesses. So far, the VA has received about 15,000 claims from veterans uh, related to the burn pits, and the most, the most common claims have been uh, for respiratory problems, as you can imagine. And the, the VA so far has denied about 12,000 of the burn pit-related claims, or about 75%, and approved about 3,500, or a little less than 25%, according to the data. So to answer your question, while there's been a lot of talk about burn pit exposure and a fair amount of discussion in Congress, so far there's been little actually accomplished to facilitate granting those claims. Yeah, yeah, that's too bad. But again, I'm glad you brought this up because this is the thing that that we as citizens do not see. We think that these brave men and women are getting their benefits and they're being taken care of. And sadly, that's not always the case. And this is a great example. Here are people who are exposed to these toxic, poisonous elements and now they have to deal with all the red tape and rigmarole of the government. And it just boggles my mind how long it takes. It can take a very long time sometimes, Bert. Absolutely. All right, so while we're on the subject of toxic exposure, have there been any developments uh, in regards to Agent Orange exposure? Yes, there are actually a couple of things going on, Bert. Um, First off, Senator Boozman, who I mentioned earlier on the Republican side, and the Veterans Affairs Committee Chairman John Tester, who was on the Democratic side, um, are renewing their bipartisan effort to support veterans who served in Thailand during the Vietnam War um, by allowing them an opportunity to prove toxic exposure 
to Agent Orange in order to qualify for Department of Veterans Affairs benefits. And as we've talked about, the the VA currently awards service-connected benefits for exposure to Agent Orange only to certain veterans whose duties place them on or near the perimeter of the Thai military bases in the Vietnam era period from February of 61 to May of 75. And that restriction has arbitrarily disqualified a lot of other veterans who might be able to prove their exposure regardless of their assigned duties that were stationed on these various bases in uh, in Thailand. So that's one piece. Um, and second, um, people are still um, struggling to ensure that Vietnam-era veterans exposed to Agent Orange receive the benefits that they're entitled to. Thousands of, of folks are still waiting. Uh, as you may remember, Congress uh, in the 2021 National Defense Authorization Act included measures to require the VA to cover bladder cancer, excuse me, hypothyroidism, and Parkinson-type syndromes for veterans uh, exposed to Agent Orange. But it may be a number of years before those uh, veterans actually get the benefits just because of, as you mentioned earlier, the, the whole uh, VA bureaucracy that moves these things so slowly. But the good news is uh, President Biden's new Secretary of uh, Veterans Affairs, Dennis McDonough, has pledged to work to expedite the process as well as uh, to consider extending benefits to those with hypertension. Now, I, I don't know if you remember, but we talked briefly about the fact that the National Academy of Science had looked at all of these conditions, bladder cancer, hypothyroidism, Parkinson's-type syndrome, and uh, also hypertension, and said that there was now sufficient evidence to show that those were associated with exposure to Agent Orange. But the Trump folks... Um, looked at the price tag for including benefits on a presumptive basis to those with hypertension and just flat out refused to do it. So uh, Secretary Wilkie, under uh, President Trump's guidance, just refused to extend those benefits to veterans. And that piece is still kind of floating. Um, Senator, sorry, um, Secretary McDonough, uh, on, under the new administration is uh, is looking at whether he's willing to extend those benefits. And the folks in the, uh, in the Congress are looking at the possibility of uh, uh, putting through legislation to include those benefits. So it's, um, it's still up in the air what's going to happen there. But as you can appreciate, the, the problem is that for... Uh, folks, especially men, in the age range to have served in Vietnam from 61 to 75, hypertension is a pretty widespread problem, and making it presumptively service-connected is going to cost the government several billion dollars a year in, uh, in potential benefits. So uh, that's, that's why the Trump people wouldn't do it, and that's why we're waiting to see what Secretary McDonough and President Biden are prepared to do about it. But that's, uh, that's a piece that is uh, still up in the air. But there are lots of folks out there who this would affect. So it's, it's really a, 
an important piece. Yeah, and again, this this goes to show you that uh, you know the, the the red tape that that goes you know that that uh, these guys have to go through these the veterans have to go through, and you know, no offense to President Trump, but you know, I think it takes a special kind of human being to you know to know that that there's possibly millions of people who are suffering because they serve their country. And now when it's time to help them out, you're going to deny them the benefits because of it may cost too much money. And that would be maybe a little bit easier to swallow if our government had a history of being financially accountable. But we know that they're not. So, you know, instead of giving, you know, millions of dollars to, uh, you know, the Kennedy Arts Center, why not put that money towards our veterans, right? Uh, and, 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 and let's keep the promise that was made to these people. Uh, so that, that is a little... You know, it's very frustrating. It's very sad to see that that our government is aware that these veterans and their family are suffering. But yet, hey, you know what? It costs too much. It, you know, it, it, it's just it's just one of those things that's heartbreaking. It is very disappointing to see. No question about it. All right. So, so let me ask you this uh, again on the topic of toxic exposure. Um, Let's talk about, uh, you know, the, the possible toxic exposure that our veterans received uh, while assigned at the old Russian base in Uzbekistan, uh, also known as K2. Talk about this. Sure. We, we've talked about that some uh, in the past. Um, what, what, uh, what's going on is, uh, as you probably uh, know the, the Russians weren't particularly concerned about the health of their military folks and the space in Uzbekistan was one where uh, various kinds of radioactive weapons were stored and radioactive testing was done uh, uh, nuclear testing of, of materials not, not explosions but of, of the underlying materials was done and so um, there is a lot of residual radiation at this base. And what happened was after the Soviet Union broke up and Uzbekistan became a uh, Western-oriented country rather than uh, continuing to be allied with Russia, we took over one of their military bases as a staging area for uh, activities in the... uh, Iraq, Afghanistan arena, um, and literally thousands of, of veterans of, from various services, especially Air Force and Army, were assigned there. And now lots of these folks are coming down with various kinds of cancer um, because the the base has dangerous levels of radiation. Um, 
And what's particularly concerning is that a bunch of documents that were declassified last year in 2020 showed that the Department of Defense knew that service members were being exposed to all kinds of toxic substances and hazardous materials at the base um, that later led to cancers and other serious health conditions. But as with the burn pits and Agent Orange and other exposures, the VA has just denied many of those veterans' uh, benefits, uh, claiming a lack of evidence. So it's a it's an ongoing problem for a number of veterans, and there is some talk in Congress about, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, doing something like what they've done with Camp Lejeune, where the uh, the water was uh, poisoned with various kinds of chemicals that have led to lots of health problems. And this, so there's there's some talk about setting up a uh, presumption that people were stationed at K2 for an extended period. Uh, would be uh, presumed to uh, be entitled to benefits for certain kinds of cancers. But at this point, that's all in the talking stage. There's not been anything that has actually been um, formulated or passed that would result in an award of benefits to anyone. So it's it's still up in the air, but at least it's, uh, it's out in the open. It's being talked about, and I think these recently declassified documents showing that the Department of Defense knew that there were serious health problems and risks here um, is going to help to move uh, the needle in Congress and get um, some kind of uh, presumption for benefits uh, put in place for the veterans that serve there. Although I'm, I'm speculating here, as you can tell, we, we, we never know what this is going to do, but I'm very hopeful that that those documents are going to push this over the edge. Absolutely. Let me ask you this, uh, Francis. How long have you been working in the area of veterans disability benefits? Uh, since 1991, Bert. What what happened is the you you may remember historically that for many many years the VA was not subject to any kind of outside review, and ultimately. Congress in 1988 passed a, uh, passed the legislation that created what is now the Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims and allowed veterans to hire an attorney and to have an attorney represent them on claims with the VA. At that time, it was, uh, it was very limited. You could only represent people who had not only had their claim denied by the VA, but had appealed that to the Board of Veterans' Appeals and then denied, and then you had a one-year window from the date that the board decision was issued in which, to, in which the veteran could hire an attorney to help with their case and basically to take it to the Court of Appeals. And my first case, uh, uh, Cynthia Smith, um, is actually recorded in Volume 2 of the, uh, the Veterans Appeals Reporter uh, because we... We, didn't, we weren't quite early enough to make volume one, but uh, we, were, we were working on it back, back to 1991. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. And, and the reason I brought this up is uh, my follow-up question would be, you have this massive amount of experience, and what is your take when it comes to 
the sometimes ridiculous delays that our veterans have to go through. Why is it so hard to get the veterans the disability benefits they deserve? Well, there are a couple of things going on, Bert. Um, probably the, the biggest single problem is that every year Congress allocates a certain amount of money for the VA, and they do it in such a way that uh, a portion of that is allocated to paying disability benefits for veterans. The VA, obviously, can't spend more money than Congress gives them. So they have to make sure that when they're looking at these cases and granting benefits, that the amounts they award don't exceed the amount that's been allocated. And if you were to suddenly go out today and grant every claim that's pending for every veteran, it would be a huge amount of money. Uh, what, what has happened over the period since the court started issuing decisions in 1991 is that the amount of benefits that, have been, that are being paid to veterans has essentially doubled. It's a very big chunk of, uh, of the budget. And so the, the VA is under political pressure Um, from the folks who are holding the purse strings to not exceed the amount of money they've been allocated. At the same time, they're under pressure from the court, which has looked at a lot of the ways that the VA was interpreting their regulations to kind of um, limit benefits to veterans and said, you know, that's really not what Congress said. They actually said these, benef- these benefits are to be available to veterans. And so the, the VA gets kind of caught in the middle between the budget crunch on the one hand and the decisions from the court saying, gee, you know, these veterans really are entitled to these benefits on the other hand. Um, so it's, a, it's an ongoing uh, it's an ongoing issue. There's also a, a procedural issue where, you know, the VA folks are like anybody else. Um, if you give them something simple, they can deal with it more easily than if you give them something complex. It's true of all of us. And so if, if somebody goes to Afghanistan and their uh, Humvee runs over uh, and an IED, an improvised explosive device, and gets blown halfway across the road, and they lose a foot, the VA can see that. They can say, okay, I can see we lost this foot, and we're going to write that. But if the same guy gets a concussion in that, uh, in that blast, you know, that's much harder to see, much harder to rate. Um, it typically takes fancy neuropsych testing to demonstrate exactly what the impact of the uh, of the concussion has been on somebody's mental functioning, it's just much tougher. And so that means that it's likely that that person's claim will get denied at the initial stage and will probably take several years of appeals to get all the information 
uh, in a way that the VA has to acknowledge that there really isn't a, uh, uh, a disability here and to go back and rate that disability and, and then pay it. And complicating it further, for a long time, the VA had a very complicated uh, appeals process where lots of veterans weren't able to do one of the steps in that process quickly enough and got their claims denied. Um, there, was a, there was a period where uh, if you had a claim and it was denied at the initial level and you appealed that, there was a second step where the VA would issue a, a decision denying the appeal called a statement of the case. And you only had 60 days from the date on that form to appeal. And sometimes the VA didn't get it mailed out until um, at or past the, uh, the appeal period. There were various other problems. But, but the result was that lots of veterans um, got pushed out of the appeal period based on that problem. And sure. to, its, you know, to its credit, the VA has, uh, has now improved that. Uh, there's a system now in place where not only can you hire an attorney after you get an initial denial, but they've eliminated this whole statement of the case form nine appeal process and simplified the appeals somewhat so that uh, if, you, if you get denied now, you can go directly to the Board of Veterans Appeals without this intermediate uh, appeal form step and so on. And so some of those things are, are helping. Um, you know, one of the problems that uh, people have faced over the last year in particular, obviously, is that the VA, like everybody else, has been uh, affected by COVID. Uh, they've had people working from home. They've had people who uh, could not uh, uh, hold hearings for uh, for lots of veterans. They, to their credit, they've stepped up, I think, very nicely with a, a, uh, a video-type um, hearing that People can do over a cell phone or a tablet or a computer from home. But, you know, a lot of these veterans are old. They suffer from mental illness. And even, even a relatively simple uh, video process is, is beyond them, frankly. So there have been lots of different, you know, uh, speed bumps in the road here. But uh, it's, it's just um, really... I think comes down, Bert, to to basically two things. Number one, the VA is a huge bureaucracy and it's very hard to to manage and to staff. And you know, the VA always has literally thousands of openings for for additional people because they they can't fill the workforce. It's a tough job. Uh, they get lots of pressure to push these claims through and and lots of pressure not to uh, not to grant the claims in certain ways. Uh, Although that's uh, that's unstated pressure in, in many ways, but it still it still nonetheless exists. They have to fit within the budget. So right. it's it's a series of, of complicated pieces. But the bottom line is, as you put it so pithily, is that for many veterans, what it means is that they will go years and years before they get their benefits. The the good news is that for most veterans who are represented and who are able to stick with the process and not just get to the point they're so sick of it that they give up, they ultimately do get the benefits that they deserve. 
unfortunately, lots of people just, especially those with, with uh, mental health conditions, just find that they, they just can't stay the course. It's, it's, it preys on their mind too much. They just give up and have to go away, which is very sad, but it happens all the time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, 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 uh, I think part of the problem, especially if you're dealing with, I don't know, something that's urgent or extremely interfering with your day-to-day life, whether it's a physical ailment or a mental ailment, I think our brains have to have closure. And when you have this open question, this, they call it, a, you know, what, I think they refer to it as an open loop, such as uh, what's happening with my, my veteran's disability claim, it starts to wear you out. It starts to drain. It, 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 the, the claim process itself almost becomes like a, uh, a, an entity of itself, and it starts to get bigger in that person's emotional and mental bank. And, and after a while, it, I could see where somebody says, I'm tired. I've been doing this for three, four, five, ten years. I'm, I'm going to give up. And if it wasn't for you and your team encouraging people to stay the course, you would have a lot more people giving up. Sadly, that's true, Bert. I, I think one of the hardest parts of our job sometimes is helping people to muster the, the mental energy to stay the course. And, and it's, it's really sad that the, the process works like that, but that's the reality. Right. That's what we have to work with. And, again, that's why I'm grateful for you and your team there at VeteransBenefits.com. Francis Jackson, thank you so much for stopping by. Always good to have you here, my friend. My pleasure, Bert. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Take care. All righty. Good stuff there from Francis Jackson, Veterans Disability Lawyer Francis Jackson, also one of America's most trusted lawyers. And you can check him out at VeteransBenefits.com, VeteransBenefits.com. As I said earlier, Please spank the like button, crush the like button, gently tap the like button, share the program. Let's help as many people as we can get the benefits that they deserve. There are literally tens of thousands, if not millions, of our veterans who are suffering in silence. And when they're suffering, their family suffers. So please, if you know somebody, even if they haven't said anything, just let them know that you've heard the show and, and say, hey, if you have questions regarding your benefits, check out veteransbenefits.com, and these guys will help you out and will point you in the right direction for free. And it doesn't hurt them to just go to veteransbenefits.com and get a second opinion. And that is something that you can do for our brave men and women. So please do that. And as always, my friends, thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you so much for uh, sharing the show and for supporting our program. Remember, you were created to succeed. Tune in Monday through Friday here on Money for Lunch and check out our website at moneyforlunch.com.